is there an afternoon playtime as well? Welcome to Thinking Deeply About Primary Education, the podcast that makes time and space to think about pedagogy, teaching and learning, professional development, anything of interest to time poor but enthusiasm rich primary teachers. This week, I'm joined by Christian Still. Good afternoon. And Ben Ebden. Hi. It's it's lovely to have you guys here. The focus of our chat is going to be test enhanced learning, but I thought um, it would obviously make sense if you guys give us a brief introduction of who you are and why you're part of this conversation this evening. Donald Christian, do you want to start with you? Uh, I can do. Uh, I'm here because um, I'm a secondary teacher um, who's working in an all-through school and um, the area for my professional development was primary. And uh, and I wandered into uh, Kieran's uh, session on maths, on concrete maths items. And uh, yeah, I realised just kind of how far I was out of my depth and uh, looked to keep the conversation going forward. And it's nice now to be able to kind of readdress that balance. But uh, I'm very aware that my area of interest um, te- using testing to enhance learning is, is very broad. And I've been really lucky to connect with a number of primary teachers. And that's how I came to connect with our other uh, guests like Ben. So that's me, Chris Still, um, former head teacher, deputy head teacher, with an interest in how we can use testing to enhance learning. Yeah, I'm Ben uh, Ebden. I'm a relatively new uh, teacher qualifying only last September. Before that, I was in the city for about 30 years. Um, and I'm in primary. I'm in year five at the moment. Uh, and I think, I suppose why I've been invited here today really is because um, Christian and I were were, were speaking uh, about the journey I've been on. When I first started teaching, I would I was very willing to accept performance as evidence of learning uh, and it would frustrate frustrate me two or three days later when I would ask children a question and that they should know the answer of in my mind because I thought I'd taught it beautifully and of course in a lot of cases they wouldn't know the answer so that sent me on a uh, uh, a mission if you like to find out what I was doing wrong why what I was why I wasn't getting my points across in the way I should have been why children weren't remembering them and why they were then weren't able to build on them. Uh, and that sent me reading through a whole plethora of uh, different books, trying different things in the classroom. Um, and I came across Christian's book and got in contact with him with a few sort of questions and our, our conversation sort of went from there. Nice. I mean, it's amazing the way education works like that, in that you can just send messages to someone and they will absolutely respond to you. I'm not sure any, any, any other fields where that might be the case. Yeah, I, I've I've Probably wasn't expecting him to respond, actually. So I was very pleased when he did, probably uh, probably within about five minutes of my question coming across. And that, that sort of snowballed into a, a much broader conversation about how to use tests really to, I think for me, the key is to fatten the pig rather than to weigh it. Um, so I always assumed that testing was about seeing how much students had learned. I didn't realise that it was actually a tool to make sure they did learn or, or to help them with that learning. Uh, and that's what's really been helpful for me. So I was very lucky, Christian, to have sort of advanced side of your your book. But in I think I've explained when I recommended on the podcast, I explained that in those situations, you've got a very tight frame in which to read the book. 
And so I've actually gone back and I'm probably about two thirds of the way through my second read, but this time it's much more enjoyable because it's in it's paper um, and I've got uh, the time to take my time, but I've used that one and two thirds read to uh, inspire my questions. And I'm going to adopt the the position of, of complete novice because, you know, obviously that's the the stance I like to take in these, it's, you know, the interview is not about me. It's about you guys and, and your thoughts on education. So my first question, I suppose it makes sense. What do we mean by test-enhanced learning? I think we should start with with Ben because, again, I think um, one of the reasons I got back in contact with Ben is I think there's a I get a lot back from talking to Ben because, of course, you're writing for an audience and and Ben is like a you know like a live audience and and I think he's already hit on the first part, which I'm hoping will be um, will rock a rock a few boats and that you know we don't see testing as terminal uh, as something that's done at the end um, but I'm going to pause there but you know I've got a few things of what I think it is but you know maybe the the best insight is how it's changed Ben's view Are you happy answering that one Ben yeah sure I mean as I said earlier I think for me testing is a tool to help children learn it's not only a tool that you use at the end of a unit to find out how much they've learned and how successful your teaching has been. It's actually to help them learn the content as you're going along. And for me, that was a big, big mind shift. Um, during training, I'd really only seen testing used, yeah, to, 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 sorry, testing used to really find out how children have done, not, not to help them on that journey. And by building in tests before a unit, um, just to check prior knowledge, but also actually to do some pre-testing as well as some of the things that we're going to be coming across in that particular unit, and then test throughout lessons, um, and then at the end of the unit, and then keep testing, keep testing, and keep testing on that knowledge has been a really helpful experience for me. I think the first thing I actually did was make sure that I was really clear with myself and the people I'm planning with, the other teacher I'm planning with, about what the key knowledge was that we needed the children, first of all, to have before we actually started the unit as the prerequisite. Uh, and then secondly, what we needed them to know by the end of the unit. And so we had to do that in advance. And then once you've got that in your head, you can be really, really sort of laser sharp about the tests that you use throughout that process. And then by the time you've got to the end of the unit, you can see the knowledge is where you needed it to be, but it doesn't stop there. Uh, unfortunately, um, what we found is that after the unit's finished, you've got to then revisit it again and again and again. And the more you revisit it, what we're noticing is the more successful all students in the class are being at recalling it. In fact, some of the biggest successes that we're seeing is with those who have got short or smaller working memories or short, yeah, I would say we're more challenged with them at working memory. We're seeing that they're able to retrieve much, much more as a result of the testing. And for me, that's been absolutely uh, a breakthrough. Did that answer your question? I sort of went round in circles then a bit, I'm afraid. No, no, I think it absolutely did. And that's wonderful to hear because, you know, Christian's talking about he, his response is going to ruffle feathers. You know, you, you often have this sort of mindset that perhaps some of these things don't apply to primary because children are young. But having also experienced the impact that this can have, you know, thinking back to the sort of schools I've taught and the, the, the pupils I've taught, you know, working memory, like your blog of the weekend, Christian has been a, a big issue and you know having this sort of potential response it really helps teachers out can i, can I build on, on something you've actually said kieran as well which is 
about it applying really to primary school. And I think it is so important in primary school because we are laying down the prior knowledge or the foundations for how children are going to be seeing the world in their secondary education and beyond that. And as we know, you know, everything you see, you interpret it and you, you, you through the prior knowledge that you've got. And the more that we can make stick in the children's minds, the more they're going to notice when they walk down the street and the more they're going to get from their secondary education. So for me, it, it's, it's absolutely critical in primary. And I think I wish more secondary teachers did have the opportunity to spend time in their primary. You know, every time I go to a, an event, I'll always try and go and, you know, connect with some primary teachers. And, you know, Ben had a really interesting profile, you know, 30 years experience. And I think there are things that, you know, I was hoping to glean from his experience outside of education to how we can make education better. And then to add that, you know, working with primary and, and going forward on a journey, because what you find is you come to the end of writing a book and, and the way you feel about certainly the beginning of the book or some of the things that you initially thought and, and worked on, you know, they become, it becomes a real tight mesh. It's more like, um, like a plate of spaghetti. You know, if I, if I pull on one thread now, the whole plate moves, you know, in, in some way. And, and Ben picked up on so many parts. You know, we talk about retrieval practice, but, you know, it's, it's huge. I mean, and, and for me, the biggest point that Ben raised was that, you know, he's working with a colleague on deciding what was the important knowledge. For me, the whole bit about test enhanced learning, that, that possibly is the most important part. Deciding, you know, if you're going to think about what you're going to ask um, the children before you come across it, I, I'm doing it today with much to do about nothing. You know, I'm deciding what I think is going to be the most important information because I can't cover all of it. And, and there are conversations on, on social media today about, you know, teachers' workload and we can't do everything. Well, I can't cover everything that's in Much Ado About Nothing. And I'm not 100% sure I know fully what my year sevens know um, coming up from year five and year six as well as I should. And we're in all through school, so you know, perhaps I should, I should know better. But I still think that's the, the fundamental point, spending time deciding what you think the important knowledge is and, and prioritizing that and dare I say it deciding you're not going to cover certain things you know letting some things go because you know the one thing you'll find if you get involved in using testing to enhance learning is that you will revisit things so I've come to this kind of mantra that I now teach less than ever before and I teach it more frequently I teach it more often and I am a huge fan of Hidden Lives of Learners. Um, you know, you, you can't go far wrong. Um, Dr. Stephen Chu wrote it uh, as down as being one of his favorite books. He's a, an American cognitive psychologist with years of experience. The book is amazing. And the insights come from, you know, from primary education. And there are these little strands in there that I, that I came across. You know, we talked about if you can identify that that information is introduced three times, they, I think it was, they've got like an 80% chance that they reckon that information's been retained. Now, whether that's taught or whether that's discussed between two pupils or involved in a conversation or practiced, De La Soul had it right, Kieran. <laughs> Three really is the magic number. So when we go back to the fundamental question of what is test-enhanced learning, the first point is deciding what information is important. What information are you not going to consider important and you're going to put to one side? And then what you do with it. And, and Ben picked out three things pretty quickly. One is pre-testing. And that's becoming really 
really interesting or potentiated learning. Then of course, there's testing as learning, which is important. And then of course, there's testing of learning. So there's probably three things. So it's the design, um, and then there's actually the use of testing pre, during, and, and post. And then there's this last kind of floating orb, which is, I suppose, um, Rodiger's paper of, you know, what are the benefits, um, what he would refer to as the indirect benefits of testing, uh, you know, and, and there are plenty of those. Maybe we'll come back to those a little bit later. So I think that's where I've got to, I think, Kieran. Yeah, fantastic. And I think that's the first Della Soul quote on uh, on the podcast. So well done for that, because we're always trying to get as many sort of cultural Easter eggs in there as possible. Just to build build on, on that, not the Della Soul quote, I'm afraid, but more generally, I think it's also really helpful for the children to get an understanding of exactly where they are in the learning too. So, for example, even if you're looking at something really basic like spellings, if you do a pretest a couple of days before your weekly spelling test and someone was convinced they were going to get 10 out of 10, but for some reason they get four wrong, you can bet your bottom dollar that when they go home that night, they're surprised. They're surprised by the fact they didn't get the get it correct. And they're going to make you know sure that they get it right when the real test comes around. Um, that element of surprise when they think, oh, I thought I knew that can be really, really helpful. Yeah, I've seen that with my boys, actually. Sometimes they'll be complacent about their spellings and yeah, I've seen them go and work twice as hard as a result because they don't want the, they don't want that feeling again. So yeah, you're... is there anything else that makes it important for teachers to know about and to consider? Is there anything else you would add in in terms of here's why teachers need to know about this? From a practical perspective, seeing children who were disengaged becoming more engaged and working much much harder because they can see success has been a real benefit on a practical benefit for me. It's that success breeds motivation. And you see it very, very quickly with uh, testing when you're testing for success. You know, you, you, you might start slightly simpler to get people used to it because it's a bit of a change to their routine. But once they start seeing success, you, you, I, I've seen such a improvement in attitudes generally from everyone in the class who are working really really hard I think and this is one of the key reasons. So the first one for me is I'm very passionate about this profession and I don't think we always do as a good a job of looking after the people that's within it and that's why I'm really interested in chatting to Ben about you know about the environment and I think teachers are working tremendously hard and if we decide what we're not going to do and we focus on what we are going to do. I, I actually think there's a workload element that promotes the use of test enhanced learning. Because of course, once you've got the um, the prioritized information and if you're working in small teams like Ben is, of course you're using that more than once. So just on a very practical level, on a logistical level, um, it works. Then on the other part, you know, it's the, the research that's really interesting. This is a guy called Peckran and he talks about motivation success being bi-directional and testing works and whether you want to call it testing or not maybe that's the misnomer right asking questions you know if you ask questions and how you frame those questions if you move the dial so you're looking at a much higher success rate you do get children that buy in so i've had um, some really poignant success with disaffected learners learners on the fringe you know um 
I can talk about working in alternative provision where the boys, uh, this was an all boy group, um, where would they actually, actually that's a lot, there was one young lady in there, you know, year 10 students and they managed to read their, their first ever book, right? They read the whole book and for them, um, it was the maze runner and we quizzed all the way through it. Now they knew a lot about the book, but it was the quizzing and, you know, they were expecting quizzes and questions and they were paying attention to what was going on. And these are not the easiest children to reach. So certainly the success motivation is there. And, and then ultimately, isn't it about our children knowing themselves? And uh, some really nice examples previously about children actually taking on board, you know, the inherent feedback of a quiz and deciding that, you know, I haven't got the score that I thought I was going to get. Um, and on those slightly larger quizzes, you know, we can do some work. We can talk about some of the the ideas around concurrent metacognition. So recording how you're doing whilst you're taking that exam paper. I'm trying to use words other than test, you know, and that, that can be really, really revealing. There's some great work by, by um, a scientist called Paul Spencer, who does a lot of me concurrent metacognition. And by the way, this is where this stuff comes from. It comes from, would you believe, the research is around monkeys and dolphins and the importance of getting feedback whilst you're doing something, you know, whether you want to call it metacognition or not. Um, yeah, there's a huge benefit there. What we've started to do, not all the time, because I think it would be too much, but at least uh, infrequently, we're asking the children to actually grade their tests before, it, before we give the feedback about how confident they are with their answers. And yeah, you will notice that if someone is really, really confident and they get the answer wrong, that has a massive impact on whether or not they get it right the following time, the next time. I think it would be too much to do it every time and we're trying to keep them you know, low stakes, but it, it is a really nice example. Yes, I'm a big fan of confidence-weighted multiple choice questions. And I've managed to get them into some of my schools, not, not, not across the board, um, but I do think it's, it's something that uh, it's well worth the the broader conversation because yeah, you're absolutely right that um, the impact it has on people's thoughts when they, you know, if you choose a really carefully chosen multiple choice question, for instance, you know, and obviously it doesn't necessarily need to be that when you're looking at testing, but when it's carefully crafted and children have to really think about it, you get a big impact, a big, a big response from them, don't you? And uh, if they're good enough for US medical exams, I think, um, and you know, and we, and so of course, a lot of times, um, testing or retrieval practice gets talked about like the the low hanging fruit, and it's good for facts, you know. But they're using that on on the U.S. medical exams. Um, so yeah, and you can, you know, it's again, it's how well the questions are written, uh, and I think that takes a, you know, a lot of time and effort and, and skill, and you know, there are certain questions that work really well in certain situations. Um, you know, and we know from the data behind Remember More which questions are more popular. You know, run-on questions are really popular. Children like, you know, like the first part of a statement and then they reveal it and it shows them the second part and children learn, um, you know, that that phrase locates to that particular character. They're really, really popular. And, and so we're filling the blanks, you know. So, you know, it doesn't always have to be factoids. Um, you know, all I'd say is just make sure that you're failure rate is really low you know this is testing for uh, and adds learning not testing of and they are different yeah i saw david Idai talking at research ed cymru and he was talking about quite a few things but one of the things he said was about them um, the idea of desirable difficulties and for me i was thinking you know well for a while 
we have to add or augment or, or decrease the the level of difficulty. But he was saying that sometimes the fact that they're given this question is the challenge itself. And, you know, if you build on a bedrock of failure, well, that's all you're going to get. And you must see that, Christian, because he was saying about when they get when they by the time, you know, and he's a secondary English teacher too. By the time they get to him, if all they've experienced is failure, well, then, you you know, the, the job is twice as difficult at the very least. And obviously, you know, so then we're aiming for that high success rate. And then that sort of prevents that from happening. I thought it was fascinating. It's a tricky one, isn't it? The DDs, the desirable difficulties, you know, it was never initially presented in, in the idea of it being difficult. You know, there's a you know look let, let's do let's have a fun experiment right because our guests can listen and they can play along right so it's all about the i i don't know if it's a true word david would know but this idea of diagnosticity you know the cue has to direct you to the answer and that's where the complexity lies so you know let, let's go for a really simple one you know it's a color <laughs> you know name me a color and there are absolutely you know hundreds upon thousands and and you know that won't tell us anything over the children that have a really broad vocabulary and have lots of colors so let, let's increase the diagnosticity and uh, let's go for a color with six letters all right so i presume kieran you've got one and and ben you've got one all right do, do you want to just shout out what your answers are i've got purple and we're just trying to make sure it's got six letters. <laughs> <laughs> so is everybody else that's listening to this as they're going yeah, along now. As well. So uh, I'm glad it has six letters. <laughs> okay. So what's really interesting about that is the next clue, um, you, you're going to say your answer is correct, right? So it has got two letters that are the same, but it's not purple. So do you want to go for your second colour? Two letters the same. Yellow. Yeah, it's got to be, hasn't it? Yeah, and and of course, the, like the the last question has a much higher diagnosticity than the than the first. So, you know, but if I had said to you, think of a color, it's got six letters and it's got uh, two letters that are the same, um, and I would have had to have added, and it ends in a W. You know, you would have still thought of purple. You would have just discounted it as the wrong answer. So, you know, the what you're trying to do is have high diagnosticity on your question. It's a colour. It's got six letters. You know, well, there's purple and there's yellow. So I need more information. So it's got two letters that are the same. It ends in W. But you still have to think really hard. And you're going to go through all the colours and before you get to yellow. So this is the thing, you know. The desirable difficulty, even with a very, very simple question like that, the important thing is, is you don't want to have lots of repeated failures because then I've either got to ask you another question or I've got to give you some more information and you spend too much time when, you know, if I just said, you know, the colour I want you to know about is yellow, you know, you just got to provide a frame. And I think that goes, you know, with those spellings. I think it's really interesting. Spellings are an interesting one where they've got to learn those. And, and I'm actually teaching some year four spelling um, next term when I go back in. And I was asking them about how much of that word do you need to give them so that they can get to success? Because for some children in that class, they will be able to spell the whole and some of them weren't. So, you know, I want the children to be successful. I want to lower the failure rate. 
So how much of that word do I give them before they get that right? And here's the point. When it's new sense data or new information and learning, the desirable difficulty of organizing those letters and those sounds, that, that's tremendously complica complicated and complex, potentially for a word that they can't necessarily even pronounce. So we obviously want to have those production effects, but I was asking my colleague about how much of the word I could give them. Do I have to quiz them on the whole of the spelling? And that was really interesting for me. I, I, I don't know. You know, presumably when they're learning it, if they can fill in just some letters, is that okay? Or do they have to learn it from scratch? We're just about to start, you know, with, with much ado about nothing, but you know, there's 20 characters, you know, they've got to know who, who all these characters are. And who and in in this particular play, there are characters that are pairing up with others, you know, and and I think it's really it's always really interesting where you can put up a few. I used to say, look, here are the characters and here, here they are. We might show you some type of relationship between them. And, you know, like Ben was saying, I thought I'd done a really good job. It's a stunning looking slide, maybe some, you know, some headshots. And this is and, you know, you go in the, the following day and they, you'd be lucky if they knew two of the two of the characters. So I think. With something like that, I might only decide in, in lesson one to introduce, you know, maybe just the characters that appear in that opening piece of text that we look at. And we'll probably quiz them. You know, I'll probably start with, can you name me any characters from Much Ado About Nothing? And I'm expecting a very low return rate unless it turns out that, you know, they've come across it or maybe their parents have spoken to them about it. Or maybe a parent was, you know, a big fan of Keanu Reeves in the day and, you know, they know that he's in it. But, you know, I think that's the difference now, you know, that we introduce information and in that initial state as new information or sense data, it's super, super fragile and even more fragile for you guys. How long does the information hang around in your classrooms and how many characters would you guys introduce? Well, even less, right? Are you introducing any new texts, Ben, in your class in year five? Yeah, we do. So they're not Shakespeare. But yeah, we, we will always have a book um, on the go. And you're right. I mean, children in year five, their working memory is still developing. You know, it will be for a, a good few years. And, you know, I think we have to work on the assumption that you know, they can probably only hold three or four things in their working memory at any one time. So we have to bear that in mind when we are introducing characters. We have to do it in context and we have to you know, help the children build up a picture of those as individuals. And test, yeah, testing can be very, very helpful doing that because it focuses the children's minds on what's the same about the characters or what's different about the characters. And that can be really, really helpful. And I find that the students love those after, after, after being in the classroom. They love those as homework activities. You know, they absolutely love learning the characters and who they are and who they're connected to. And I think to myself about all those homeworks, you sent them home to do a piece of comprehension and, you know, moving on with the text and they haven't got a hand on who the characters are. So this is this is the thing, you know, I think testing works really well when the fact of the matter is you need to know who these characters are in this particular story and new characters come in. And, you know, certainly with, um, you know, maybe not so much a play, but even a text, it's a great way to anchor that information. And of course, because they get it quite quickly, it, it's lovely to say to them, can you name 10 characters? And they write down 10 characters and they write down different characters. And all of a sudden, 
you know, the next 10 minutes slot of that lesson, you know, they're in the books are out, they've written 10 characters, their smiles, they're ready to go, you know, they feel good about themselves and they kind of say, what's next? And I think that's one of the biggest things about, you know, the benefits of test enhanced learning, not necessarily the retrieval practice that's got all the, the headlines and the spotlights, I think is what comes next. I mean, it's really clear why it's important for teachers to know about this. And, you know, you said at the very start, Christian, about how broad it was. Just there, there's so many different threads and, and cognitive <laughs> psychology that you're pulling out there. And I'm thinking this, this conversation could be easily four hours if we went down absolutely every avenue. It'd be really interesting to, to know what this might look like in the classroom. And in particular, if there are any noticeable differences between primary and secondary applications. Well, I think we should start with the primary. And of course, you know, Ben reminded us that um, the working memories become a bit of a, a focus for me. You know, four to 14 is that kind of window. And then within those classes, you know, you, you've got quite a lot of difference. And, and I think if I was going to share anything with colleagues, it would be just making very clear about what is new information and what is knowledge that you're recalling. And anything that is new, however much you were expecting to introduce or get over, halve it and halve it again. You know, it, it, you'd be much better off introducing three characters, you know, three or four times or putting four characters' names up on the board and hitting reorder. So, you know, you've put the character name in, you know, you said who they are, you know, you display them on the on the board and you ask the children, like, who are these characters? You'd be far better off starting with three or four and repeating it and then moving on than, you know, covering all 20 characters. I think that's the biggest thing, you know, for the younger learners, when it is new information, really scaling it back, massively scaling it back. Um, and of course, if the diagnosticity of the cue is pretty good, so who is Malcolm or who is Leonardo, you know, that's pretty straightforward. Leonardo is the, you know, the head of the Messina town. You know, there's, there's not, he's the father of Hero. You know, already you've got two or three bits of information about that character. You know, that's, that's plenty. That, that's absolutely plenty. And I, and I don't think it's a problem saying, you know, putting some parts um, into the, the response queue that helped them get there you know so the question is you know who is leonardo maybe you've got a, a symbol that would suggest that he's you know important he's clearly male um and you might have in brackets father to h question mark you know i just want them to get to as close to that answer as possible so that would be the first thing you know for the for the primary classroom um scale it back and reorder 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 before you start refreshing questions yeah from a practical perspective i mean one of the mistakes i made early on was thinking okay i've got this great tool which is going to help children remember more and i was almost testing them on as much as i possibly could what are the different things that came up in that lesson what would it be helpful for them to remember and it was only through sort of really diving a bit deeper into the literature that's available um, including your book, thank you, and your answers as well. So thank you, Christian. Uh, that I realised that you know actually it is about defining what we need them to know, and repeating, repeating, repeating until you know it is automated in their in their brains. Uh, it's not about testing every single thing. It's not about 
testing all the hinterland, which helps them get it into context. But it's about really being clear on what that powerful knowledge is. You know, you need them to maintain. Here's an interesting point, right? Because since I asked them, do they know where Messina is? Then I've got to explain to them where Italy is. And, you know, as adults, we've got um, an idea, you know, trying to stay away from schema, but you've got a concept of, of this place already. Even if you haven't, you know, encountered the play, you know, Messina, Leonardo, you know, you've probably got pictures of this kind of, you know, Tuscany, you know, type element. You know, we carry so much information. So for me, you know, just knowing that he's he's the main man and he's 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 also actually um, Beatrice's guardian. So, you know, why isn't he her father? Then you've got to explain to her, you know, why does a, an older gentleman end up having guardianship over another girl? These two are cousins. Then you've got then you're into all sorts of other things, aren't you? You know, why? Why is um he her guardian what's happened to her parents you know and the kids come out with all these weird and wonderful questions which are really really important i just want you to know that he's the head of the town he's father to hero and guardian to beatrice i think the more interesting question is how might a father differ in his parenting of his own daughter and uh his ward i think that would be an interesting question but i'm not sure if even my year sevens and eights will be able to handle that so yeah so the first thing I think for the I don't think too much changes in terms of the questions I'd even say that the primary children I work with they are more resilient at getting it wrong and they will pepper out more ideas I think some of the older students capitulate quite quickly actually so but as I said you know maybe pausing for thought about what happens if they get it wrong actually let's work on the premise that we can lead them to getting it right so who is leonardo you know he's head of messina and what else then you're already feeding them part of the answer they've got 50 percent of the answer and he's also father to hero and guardian to to beatrice i think that's the main thing you know really really lower the failure rate and i don't know i will quite often give this information ahead of the lesson because it's available so you know, I've actually had a couple of emails just the other week saying, so when are the, when's the deck coming out for when we go back, we go back in a week's time. But I've got quite a few children that actually do quite a lot of pre-learning, even in year seven and eight. So they actually come to the class and I bet you there'll be some primary children that will do the same. Yeah, because I mean, I'm not sponsored by your application, but you've got an app called Remember More. And I'm assuming that this would be really, you know, you've essentially designed this to help with this process in classrooms. Am, am I right in thinking that? Yeah, look, it, it came out as a solution. The kids designed it. So two years ago, the kids said, this is what we want. So with the children, we, we kind of built it. And over two years, you know, we put together, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We are little, you know, uh, in, in the supermarket space of testing tools, we're little. You know, you put the information in and it displays it on the screen. And then the children have access to that when they go home. And if they want to run it through an app, then they have another layer, which is which is a form of personalization that actually um, works with their responses and it prioritizes the cards. But, you know, let, let's keep it really simple. You know, I need these children to know these 10 bits of information. You put it into Remember More and you just pop that up on the screen. And I, the reason I like that is that those questions are always available to me. I can fill spare time. I can put those questions up at the beginning. I can deliver my lesson and I can jump back onto them at any time. 
And then there are two buttons. So if you select, let's say, these five bits of information, you would be surprised. Well, maybe primary colleagues would be less surprised. But if you ask the same questions, and let's say there's four of them, and you just reorder those questions, you would be surprised at how many children struggle. You've just taught it. You've shared with them the information. You know, you say, look, you've done really well. Let's just make sure we've got that. And you hit reorder. Your success rate falls back down again. You know, but we've only <laughs> we've only just done this. So you've got reorder. And I use that quite a lot. And let's say you've got 20 characters and, you know, you've reordered a couple of times and they've got those characters. If you hit refresh, it will take another selection of random cards from the selection that you've predetermined. So, yeah, look, we, we joke. Um, we say that we're faster than Usain Bolt. There's no login. The information is up on the screen within 10 seconds and you're quizzing. So for homework, you know, we looked at the characters today, go home. We're going to look at them again tomorrow. If you want to do well, you know, you want to show off in class, learn them. There's a lovely quote from one of the year sevens um, for a magazine article they wrote. She said, we don't, um, we're no longer tested in class about our knowledge. We're tested about whether we want to do well or not. And I asked her what she meant by that. And she said, well, the knowledge is available. We know we're being tested in class. Isn't it just about whether or not we want to do well or not? I went, yeah, I suppose so. That's amazing. I mean, you're thinking being a bit deprecating saying you're little. Because <laughs> what, 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 perhaps a lot of those other companies um, won't have is someone who's in the classroom testing this out with their kids all the time, you know, so it's informed by the institutional knowledge that's really important because, you know, there are, there are many brands of sort of space retrieval applications, mm -hmm. but not all of them get it right all the time because I've certainly tried in my own learning. And I'm yet to find one I'm 100% satisfied with. So, you know, as soon as I read the first draft, I went to download Remember More, and then it asked me for a school uh, code. Group code, yeah. A group code. And I thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll follow this up another time. <laughs> okay, so so this is where where Ben is at, at the moment. Okay, so there are, there's, there are three parts. Classroom just puts your questions up on the board for teachers. OK, so there is classroom.rememberMore, which is just generic. There's a bunch of free content on there. But if you're a teacher and you want your own classroom, you just drop me an email and you get classroom.rememberMore forward slash whatever, you know, three letters you want. OK, and then you can put your own content in. That's part one. I use that every day. Um, if I don't quiz, I get in trouble. And a lot of children like using classroom for some reason. You know, but it, it, you know, the whole point about it is it's it's supposed to be absolutely low threshold. You, you're on and you're up and running. If you want the same content to run through your app, once you've got in contact, that's also free. So if you if you want to try it out, you just use the the group code demo school. What that then gives you is a third component part, which then returns the information to you of the cohort that are using the app. And what that tells me is what the class knows confidently and what the class doesn't know. So a really good example is um, we're doing holes, which I'm sure many people will be familiar with. And um, I had, um, it, it's obviously set in an American or it's pictured as being an American camp. And the children had reported they didn't know what that meant. And I had just presumed the kids would have seen you know, or have a, an understanding of what an American 
you know camp should look like as soon as i showed them a video so the ratings for that particular question shot through the roof so what that does is it just tells you what the children are are securing and not and then you can really start to adapt your your teaching um and then you know i don't set any homework i haven't set any homework this year i just say i would like you to go on and make sure you're ready for chapters you know 18 and 19 and and it tells me how long they've been working so there are three parts classroom for just presenting information the app is free kids just have it on their phones it personalizes the content and then the teachers have the dashboard and that then gives you insights so there might be a particular topic you know the children aren't getting or there might be particular spellings that they're not getting right you know it just tells you how they're getting on i mean lots of schools will have established what their core knowledge is that they want pupils to leave the school for most subjects you know here mm -hmm. by the end of your time in at our primary school we want you to know x y and z in each subject mm -hmm. you know so i think i see a lot of benefits have you been testing this out then yeah so we I've, I've been testing it out um i and i start every single day um with you know do now as people come in we have a rolling start so there are questions on the whiteboard that i use the system for waiting for uh people to uh have a go at and, and then we and that will that will be determined by how uh, you know, what's coming up next, how long it is since I last quizzed a particular issue uh, or a particular subject or a particular topic uh, and how well people are doing in it. And we will then spend some time talking about the answers. I mean, there's no point doing the test and not not feeding back, I would say, uh, because then you just get the same the same errors next time. It's, it's about helping the children understand what they've gone wrong. But now I both using the system and also just using my normal lessons uh, is building that into every single lesson as well. And not just at the end of the lesson, not just at the beginning of the lesson, but throughout the lesson as well is really honing in on the points that people either need to know or they need to leave knowing. As I say, we started with the, I started with the classroom bit and I'm just moving into using the app now. I've been speaking to a couple of parents uh, over the over the Easter break actually and getting their buy-in because obviously in year five a lot of them don't have their own phones or their own um, uh, iPads and things but I want them in this case to be using the app because I want to actually look at the statistics and how each of them are actually doing and, and the, the, the parents because they know the children love the quizzing are also very very keen to do it because they see the child engaged so I've got some that I'm trying out uh, with some spelling uh, first of all directly after Easter and then we, we will see where it takes us but it's early days for me but it, it's it's been very very promising I mean you know, not to take away from the app at all or, or from the service at all um, but it, it's more uh, I think it's more cultural you know th this is a great solution but it's also about building it into your lessons as well um, and making sure that you know that it is part of daily life in school not just an add-on I think I'd like to contribute to that as well. I think it potentially has more power with the primary because of the number of, um, because you're coming back to the same classroom three times a day. So of course there isn't, you know, I'm at the door, I'm saying hi to the guys, you know, the questions are already up on the board. They kind of come in and, and there are different ways to, to, to quiz the same knowledge. So you can do questions and answers, answers and questions, or you can match. So when their knowledge is really, new we use match a lot so it will say up on the board leonardo and it will have the answer and all they do is they write down the code so one h for example and i think what's what's particularly interesting is that 
I'm not worried. You know, I'm at the door. I can meet and greet because they know what they're doing when they're coming in. So I think if I had the opportunity to do that three times a day, start the day, after break, after lunch. So those three returns, that means I can cover what I did in the morning again. I've got a really nice spacing, you know, and it can be done in a minute. It takes you 10 seconds to put it up on the board or if it's on a previous tab, you know, it, they're just up there. And of course, very quickly, it becomes knowledge. And of course, <laughs> what's really funny about Remember More is that the more the children know, their prizes, more questions. So we always do two minutes and it starts off, we do five questions in two minutes. And we get to the point now where, you know, we're doing 15 questions in a minute. Some of the retention is, is quite scary, but the most important thing is it gets knitted in because the questions can be tagged. So I can ask questions about act one, or I can ask questions about Leonardo and I can decide the breadth you know, and the scope of the knowledge. But, you know, it never ceases to amaze me. It takes about 12 to 15 classroom sessions before their confidence in themselves starts to surface. And there's um, uh, an A-level an a biology teacher who is working on this with her A-level students. And she pretty much saw the same. So it doesn't matter whether they're A-level students or whether they're younger primary students, you know, you just have to accept that you have to be the leading light. This is what we do. It makes you smarter. And then you recognize it as the lessons come along. And where do you know that from? And they say, oh, I got it off the card. Oh, that's amazing. You know, you're the first person to do that today. That's a house point. Let's go with that again. What was it? Why, why do you think, what would be different between being someone's father and someone's guardian? Because you've got the first piece of information and that's how it kind of develops out. I reckon it takes... On average, I would be quicker in a primary classroom because you see them. For the core secondary subjects, it's about 12, 15 lessons. For geography, for, for MFL, for the foundation subjects, it's a bit longer. So the children do need to adapt, that's for sure. But yeah, I like the fact I don't have to sit too much or mark too much homework. Yeah, I mean, it's hitting all those markers, isn't it? It's got workload covered, devices covered, because if you can just do it with one screen, that's often all there is in some some schools, you know, I mean, I hadn't intended to ask about the app, but, you know, in terms of practical application, I'm thinking of all the paper that in the past I have used um, for this kind of job and thinking, you know, for maths, um, you know, obviously complete maths, we've got um, these retrieval quizzes that are built into the, the platform. Um, this is almost the, you know, if my design and technology, um, you know, curriculum ne needs to be reinforced, you know, where, where am I going to, to do that sort of thing, you know, so unintentional but i think well we're checking out for anyone who uh who, who's listening because um i think that could be really really useful now the next question is the question i've been looking forward to asking the most because i am reasonably dissatisfied with uh interleaving as a concept and um, just in terms of how it's been executed um, and the advice that surrounds it. I don't know if that's just me being picky. And I don't think you know, it's not it's not actually it's not the case with the uh, with your work, Christian. But in, but in general, I want to ask as much as I can about interleaving because I don't feel that I understand it in the way that I should. I mean, that's that's a, that's quite a ramble. So maybe I'll cut all that. I mean, <laughs> I don't think you should, Kieran, because <laughs> it, it's a really, really tricky thing to do well. and 
you know, it sits in this test enhanced learning and there are some papers around maths and science, you know, that have got some headlines, you know, but yeah, I'd be really cautious, be really cautious. It's been really simplified and not oversimplified, but, you know, unless it's knowledge, unless it's secure knowledge, leave it alone. With your maths hat on, I suppose, Kieran, one way that we found it particularly useful is, is concepts like area and perimeter. So you get them one day getting all of their areas right, you know, a bit of practice just on area, you get a bit of practice and performance just on perimeter. But you know that when it comes to uh, uh, the end of year tests that people are going to get it confused, probably. Uh, and the way of getting less people confused is having to get them to differentiate on a frequent, or, you know, really, really frequently, not keeping the two really, really separate, but to interleaving the questions. So they'll be doing one maybe on area and then there'll be two on perimeter and then, you know, they will have to work out which method to use. And I think that's where, and that works in math really well, but it also works across different, uh, different subjects as well. I've just chosen that as a math example because I think it's a really nice clean one. But that's where I found it to be particularly useful is where we know that children will have difficulty differentiating between or, or deciding what they're meant to do because they get two concepts confused easily. It's, it's interleaving those, those, those topics on a frequent basis. We, we actually had a back channel conversation actually, Kieran, before we came on because, you know, so I was having a conversation um, with one of the, the professors on, on the paper. It is about making sure that it gets thrown into this kind of group of test enhanced learning, but it has to be on knowledge that's secure because the level of complexity is quite significant. So I think it's a really good example, Ben. I might borrow that on the, the perimeter in the area. But you have to know and be able to do both of those questions or those types of questions. And uh, Stephen Chu wrote a really cracking paper the other day. You know, we all know that knowing something is different from being able to do something with it, you know, being able to apply it. It's a huge step when you've got two questions. Even if you know it's in the remit that this question is only going to be area or perimeter, you know, which one do I use? So I think it's 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 an interesting one. Um, it works really well with maths. It does work well in other areas. But, you know, my one plea is with knowledge, you know, they need to be able to, you know, complete the worksheet of area questions at, you know, a relatively mastered level. And they also need to be able to articulate back the steps that they take to complete that. So it's a process question, isn't it? Do you know the different processes and, and, and then apply it? So, um, you know, for example, I very rarely um, interleave different texts, but I might on occasions um, look at a character and define that character. I might then look at another character and define that character. And only once those two characters are understood will we start to look for the differences between them. I mean, and I think that's the key thing. I think they're wonderful examples because this is why when I read Test Enhanced Learning, Christian, I felt a whole lot more satisfied than I had with some of the other possibilities. And, and Ben, your example, I think, is perfect because it's very much in the, in the area of retrieval, whereas I've seen in the name of interleaving, 
curricula organized so that Monday is number, Tuesday is shape, Wednesday, whatever you want it to be, data handling on Thursday, and then problem solving on Fridays. And so for me, I'm thinking, well, that doesn't seem like a very sensible way to organize this, the sequence of instruction. And so you're saying there, um, Christian, you know, retrieval of want, the, the, the you know, the interleaving is built into the retrieval process and, and your systems you have in place. So like, for instance, Mark McCord will talk about bedded retrieval and the idea that, um, you know, when, when you see a ladder, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a trigonometry problem because there, there are going to be multiple concepts embedded into this. And, and so it's more along those lines than it is the sequence in which I'll introduce. So it feels like I've, in, I've understood what you're saying in both in the book and through these examples, that, that that's where I would that's where I would land. Having listened to you guys, am I on the right lines? Yeah, I think you're on the right lines. It was really interesting. Um, I can't think of what Veronica's um, Veronica's last name is now. So she was talking about it's a really good strategy when you're coming back to those final parts of um, your revision. You know, where you've done your revision on area and you've done your revision on perimeter. You know. And then you you have a look at that. I, I suppose, um, you know, we're looking at that kind of it's what you are retrieving. You're retrieving, you know, the characteristics of the question, aren't you? You know, you're trying to decode what the question is actually asking you to do. And then, you know, the steps have to be in place. Right. So the interleaving is to do with your ability to discriminate what the question is asking of you. And I think, you know, that for me is is the key point. Look, you know, the 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 success stories of and the and the data behind the retrieval, sorry, the interleaving research papers is, you know, it is pretty strong. You know, it's one of the, the strongest sets of data. Um, so, yeah, look, my main point is this is very much for the knowledge end of the process. Now, other people might argue you know well, you can do it as part of learning and there is some discrimination in the learning um and, and i think that is possible but now you're getting into you know some really fine points um i would say just make sure you're dealing with knowledge not with new information i wouldn't use it as a teaching i wouldn't talk about it as going out of the harbor in that way maybe when you're coming back to the harbor nice i mean you're going to research ed berkshire christian aren't you i'm gonna i'm gonna mm. pick your brain about those finer points um, <laughs> over lunch um, because yeah because i mean this is something i you know i'm very very interested in and um, you know because the, the studies themselves are fascinating and then what yeah. does this look like when we go back to the classroom but uh, let's let's throw in that you're really interested in am i presuming from a maths perspective and i do think that's really important you know in this heady world of pedagogy across all the different subjects most of the stuff has been around maths and science of course there's those those really interesting studies on being able to discern which artist paint you know artistic styles uh, and birds i think bird species but um yeah i think um most of the researchers sit quite tightly in in maths yeah if, if you're going to want them to be able to in a test differentiate between the two concepts they need practice doing it i think that's what, what it comes down to doesn't it I think we, we've covered quite a lot. Are there any pitfalls that we haven't mentioned that teachers should seek to avoid when trying to utilize test enhanced learning? I mean, Ben, you've already spoken about 
things that you wouldn't do were you to restart this process again. Is there anything else you think teachers need to go away from this episode knowing before trying to get involved more? Yeah, I mean, the, the number one thing that I did wrong, I think, was was trying to test on too much, as I said earlier, and it, it, it didn't have the desired effect. But once we were much clearer about the what was the most powerful knowledge, that, then it really, really did help us. I mean, I would advise people to go out and, and I'm not you know, an employee or sponsor or anything, but, but get a copy of the book and read it because you will get lethal mutations if you don't understand why it's working. So for a teacher to understand why it's working and how it's working, I think is really, really critical um, because then you can see, you know, you wouldn't have made, I wouldn't have made the mistake that I made, for example, had I, had I been, you know, uh, had I understood the processes behind it more. That's really kind of you, Ben. I think, I think that for me is that there are two categories here, right? So there's the testing, the pre-testing, the testing during and the post-testing, okay? So these are all direct benefits of retrieving information and they sit in this nice kind of scientific circle. And then you've got this other group, um, which is the, you know, the indirect benefits. And the more I read, the more I am impressed by Rodiger's paper, that you know, the 10 benefits of testing. It's a really helpful tool to say to the to the children, you know, you know, we have this phrase in class, you know, attention is everything. And it is everything. And there's all these other things that are going on, you know, in close proximity to the children and beyond and outside the classroom, you know, that could have their attention. But this is where I need your attention on these cards up on the board. So there's loads of reading, which, you know, is a gift. And then there's lots of questions and, you know, you can expand those questions out if you like. But the biggest thing is, is every Thursday we do something that's a little bit more formal along the lines of what my colleagues, you know, we, they would see as a test. And it's only 10 questions, but the children know it's coming and they plan for it and they work hard for it. And, you know, they stick with it and they always mark their own work. And I've learned that there's a really nice method. I think I cover it in the book called 210 two marks if it's correct and accurate that's if they've got it right and it looks like the cards answer on the board whereas one mark is if it's correct and they know that they know what they wrote was correct and I'm not too worried by the way they are far harder on themselves than I ever am and then there's the zero mark if they haven't got an answer down and of course when the card goes up on the screen they write that answer in and they highlight it and they add to any of their other answers, right? So at the end of it, as near possible, I want them to have a, a full set of 10 cards, which they would get 20 marks for. That little routine takes about 15, 20 minutes and I record those, those scores. And I've got box plots of those scores and the box gets narrower and it goes up and the whiskers get shorter. Now I've done that about, you know, probably 20, 30 times. And the pattern is almost identical. The moment they realize that they are getting smarter, they buy into that and the variability within the group changes dramatically. So I would say that the two things are this. One, the children in class are definitely more attentive. They definitely take better notes. They definitely pay attention. They definitely understand it's not about who is the smartest, but you know, we can all get to 20 out of 20. The whole idea is everybody goes with us. And that changes the culture in the classroom. And that's probably been, for me, the reason I stick with it. And I still, you know, I keep pushing with this. 
the culture in the classroom is the one thing you know we did a little bit of work with Leeds University around confidence and the children were saying they're happier to come to class that's really what you want I, I would certainly agree on the on, on that confidence point and that that seems to breed motivation I think another thing that people have to be really careful about is if you're pre-testing you've got to be careful about how you then go around uh, assessing or, 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 or feeding back to make sure that people know what the right answer is. The reason why I say that is it can be tempting to say, oh, everyone, what did you get in question number one? And somebody will put their hand up or you'll cold call someone to give the answer to number one and they'll have a misconception and then that can be sort of spread out amongst the group. So you've got to be careful about how you make sure that they know what the right answer is without too many wrong answers coming out, which people are then thinking about the wrong answer instead of the right answer, which is why I, when I'm doing it, I, I tend to really shy away from asking people what the answers are, unless I know that they're going to get it right. So I've been around having a look at what they're writing um, and then get them to elaborate a bit on it or, or someone who I'm surprised got it right because they haven't got it right before, get them to elaborate on, on, on it. And I think that can be helpful, but you don't want to use it. You don't want to invite too many wrong answers because otherwise that's, where the, that's what the children are thinking about. You know, and that's when it takes us full circle, Kieran. That's when the high diagnosticity works really well. And we know that hints work really, really well. And on those pre, pre-testing, you know, it must be a joy to have the, those younger students because you know you've only got to ask a pre-question well you may be surprised how many of them already know it so you know you've saved class time there right away if you don't have to teach it but it doesn't half make it exciting were you around Kieran when they did the pedagogy on like what's in the box and you take an empty box into class and the whole lesson was based about you know what's in the box no I mean my only experience of what's in the box is the movie seven and obviously that's not necessarily (laughs) suitable for primary schools (laughs) So, so the whole point about it is, is you know, okay, it, it's again another kind of like experiment. So you've got to imagine I've got a box and I'm going in to teach much ado about nothing. And the whole thing about it is, is you don't make a big deal about it. You just put the box down on the table until some poor child can't resist and says, "What's in the box?" And all you say is, "Well, it's got something to do with the lesson." <laughs> and it's just that whole curiosity. And and I'll I'll loan this out from um, Sarah Cottingham. You know. It's very hard to be curious about something that you know nothing about. And that's where I think pre-testing is quite clever, you know, because I could start by saying, you know, have either of you two been to, to Italy? Have either of you two been to Messina? Have either of you two, you know, read another Shakespeare play? What was it? Okay, well, and obviously you've told us that you've been, you know, dip your toe into a bit of Macbeth. You know, if you were to paint Macbeth in a colour, what colour would you use, Kieran? Oh, red, probably. <laughs> okay. Well, this play, I'd paint in kind of a, a sunshine yellow. It's a bit different from your play. So what's in the box? And, and, and I think that's what the, the potentiation work is really exciting you know asking questions that potentiate the learning the children dial in and tune in because quite simply they want to know what the answer to what's in the box or they want to know the answer to that particular question and I think that's really really powerful you know giving the children just something 
you know, to be curious about and obviously a reason to pay pay attention if the quiz that's coming up on Thursday isn't already enough reason to pay attention. So I think um, that would probably be the, you know, the, the point about it's not test enhanced learning is just one small slice of that bigger part that is teaching. But I think it's a really, really important one because it's so easy to iterate. You know, if if I've got, you know, a hint on a question, I can take that hint off. I can adapt that question or I can make it easier. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, it just makes teachers lives a little bit more manageable, which is important. I suppose half of the teaching is getting stuff into people's heads. The other the other half is getting it out of people's heads, isn't it? Um, and until they actually can get it out of their heads, do they actually know it? And again, I should put that in. The, I'll put that in the second edition. I think it's brilliant. You know, there is um there is a quote um about I think it's Dobson that says she says something along those lines. You know, at the end of it, you know, we spend all this time trying to see what information we can get out of their heads. Maybe we should teach a little bit more like that in the first place. It's quite a privilege actually listening to how Ben's evolving and at the pace at which he's evolving, you know, because you're coming to teaching with 30 years worth of, you know, experience. There must be some things in education that surprise you and shock you and other things you think, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I'm, well, I mean, the things that I suppose <laughs> shock me probably won't shock you two, um, but you know, some of the, the funding is beyond belief. <laughs> They're probably one for your outtakes. I mean, I you know, the, the fact that what, what's been stripped away over the last 12 years is until you're actually in it, I don't think you realise you know, how much of their own money and their own resources teachers are spending or, or, or doing in their own time just, just to, you know, because they care about it so much. Uh, that's not immediately apparent from the outside, definitely. Mm. But no, I mean, know, on the journey, it, it's been so interesting because ITT, yeah, it's great. You, you get a real nice uh, introduction and it's really nice and um uh, you know it's uh you're not thrown into the deep end straight away it, it, it's graduated uh, and i was very fortunate because the skit i was in was very very keen on us understanding more about uh, cognitive load theory and about um memory and about how children learn and i don't know speaking to other people in my situation how widespread that has been uh i think the skit I was in was very, very, very keen on that. Um, and I was also very lucky with the mentors I had. So I sort of had a slight head start on most people, I suppose, because I don't know how much of CLT is built into that ITT training program yet. I think more needs to be. You know, that's interesting because the whole instruction thing is, you know, that's the whole point of test enhanced learning. It is all about efficiencies. There's a really interesting um, a bit of work that I covered. I wish I'd been able to cover more. Luke Eglinton is really challenging me to think differently about, you know, the role of um, feedback. Because I suppose, again, Kieran, we grew up on the whole, you know, feedback as fertilizer and feedback is so, you know, is, is one of the most important things. And actually, I'm not so sure it is. I'm actually getting them to the right answer so I, I don't spend a lot of time with feedback, actually. Um, they spend a lot of time on feedback and on assessing their own work, and I use it a lot more for learning. But I try to avoid, you know, the long diversions. Um, 
if I can. And I'm, and I'm quite happy to say that, I, you know, we can't cover that. You know, if we've got time at the end, we'll come back to it. So I think that's maybe something that I didn't cover as much in the book. But, you know, what is the one thing that we are all shy of, apart from Ben's point on teachers spending their own money? It is time. This isn't, a, this isn't an efficiency thing. And re-quizzing re is super, super efficient. So, yeah, I, I, if I could add that to the other um, question, I would just remind teachers just how efficient re-testing or re-teaching or re-quizzing is, you know, that would be important. I mean, that, that's a bombshell and a half to end on, you know, challenge and assessment or and feedback you're guaranteed to get yourself uh, invited back for a, a follow-up on the <laughs> because i want to know more but um, we've already stretched the limits of uh in ben's holiday for instance in particular yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I can't believe um how generous you've both been with your time tonight all the to do is say thank thank you so very much for joining me i really appreciate it well thank you're you. quite an inspiration to me so it's um yeah it's nice it's nice to be able to spend some time. And I, 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 no word of a lie, your session chunk my battleship that day. And, and I think, you know, I don't understand why we don't get more time to cross over and do stuff together. And everyone at home, until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>